Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back for part two with Justin Waller, founder of Red Iron Metal Construction and controversial online personality known for his aggressive takes on what men need to do to thrive in the modern world. I wanted to sit down with Justin because I've got a growing thesis that something is off in the culture, especially for young men. I think society has a distorted view of what men should be aiming to become, and that's having a huge knock-on effect for young men. Though we certainly don't agree on everything, I enjoyed my conversation with Justin and found him to be sincere in his desire to help people. But some of his ideas fall well outside of the mainstream, and I will be very interested to hear what you guys think about this topic in general and our conversation specifically. If you haven't checked out part one, I suggest you start there as it will lay the groundwork for the rest of this conversation. And speaking of captivating conversations just like this one, uh, if you want more like this, make sure you leave a rating and review on the podcast so we can keep making content that helps empower people with goal-oriented life strategies that actually work. This is Tom Bilyeu, and now I bring you part two with Justin Waller. It's a very interesting thesis. I actually think there's probably more to it than I think there's much more. So, uh, uh, argue with me. No, unfortunately on this one, all I can do is agree with you. So, uh, I think that men want to feel powerful and just like women want to feel beautiful. Yes. You make a woman feel safe, seen and, um, desired then heard. Yep. For sure. Then you're going to do well. If you make a man feel appreciated and powerful you're done yeah like, done. that's There's it much that's simpler. all i need yeah and uh yeah it's very interesting so this is now we're getting into the territory of what i think the real problem is cool so there's a great quote i think it was oscar wilde who said everything about everything is about sex except sex that's about power and the first time, and of course, it's overly simplistic. I don't want people to freak out. But the reason that the quote gets people's attention is like, there's a little something to it that really does carry something. And there, so we'll take my wife and I wish she was here so people could see, I, trust me, I'm not putting words in my wife's mouth. This is something that we've talked about a lot. So my wife wanted to be a bad bitch. She woke up one day and was like, you know what? I want to go on my entrepreneur arc. I really like this. I'm good at it, which is true. She is unbelievable. Best business partner I've had. She's amazing. And at the same time, I was like, hey, just to be clear, I'm not interested in fighting for the role of leader in the family. And, but at the same time, I'm never going to ask you to slow down so I can lead. But 
when I'm better than you at something, I'm not gonna pretend that you're better than me. And when you're better than me at something, I'm, we're not gonna pretend that I'm not better. But in no uncertain, like when we founded Impact Theory, I said, hey, I am perfectly happy to split the money that we have earned. You earned your half for sure. Happy to give you your half. You can go run a business, whatever business you want, and I'll take my half and I'll go run a business. Or we can run it together. If we're gonna run it together though, then, uh, and it's important to note at this point that the attorneys were like, hey, if you guys decide to run it together, one of you needs to have 51%, one of you needs to have 49%. Otherwise it's the perfect divorce nightmare. And Lisa was like, obviously you take 51%, like makes all the sense in the world. You work harder than me, totally get it. I was like, absolutely not over my dead body. I want the ultimate divorce nightmare because we're never getting divorced. And it's up to me to be able to navigate this well enough that we don't get divorced. So I'm like, I'm all in. I want you to understand you're more important to me than the business. And I want to put my money where my mouth is. So the company is 50-50. And so if we ever get into a divorce, fucking everything blows up. I love it. I love it. I hate it. I understand. So uh, we've got the company 50-50. So I said, okay, if we're going to do that, then just know that, of course, you're amazing. I know what you're capable of. And we will always try to convince each other. If I think one thing is right, I'll try to convince you. If you think something's right, you try to convince me. Uh, and I, I love all that. And, yeah, and we'll all honor that. hundred. Obviously, if you have yeah. a woman running your company, you know that oh, yeah. any individual, anything can I be, love to be the wrong. best. Yeah. Right? It's oh. wonderful. I don't need to be does. right. I need to win. And I don't care who Dude, says it. I say the same thing yep. all the time. Yep. So, but I want to be clear, dear wife of mine, that... If we can't convince each other, we will go with my idea every time. And if you're cool with that, then we can do it together. And if you're not cool with that, I totally understand, but you can't ever find ourselves in a stalemate. So one of us has to be the final arbiter. It has now, to the be way that it, way. Yeah, the way it normally breaks down is if I know it's an area of her expertise, then I'm just gonna be like, okay, it makes more sense to go with your thing. But a few times it really has come down to, I understand your position perfectly and think you're wrong. You understand my position perfectly and think I'm wrong. And we're just gonna, then I'm the tiebreaker. Right. So look, you can work this stuff out. And I really do believe if in those moments, I didn't feel like I was the right person to lead. Because by the way, I came to that conclusion because we both think I'm the right person to make that decision. My wife was not like, oh my God, like this is so unfair. She was like, yeah, you're the right person to make that decision. Now, the problem becomes, what if you're in a marriage and you get to that point and she's like, I don't think you're the right person to make that decision. I think all emotional hell breaks loose. I don't know how he gets an erection and I don't know how she would want to ever find herself under him. And look, maybe that's me I being agree. old. I don't know. That's, but like, that goes that's back to I'm my like, respect equals love thing. Your wife respects you because of the businessman that you were. And for that reason, she gave you the nod to make these critical decisions. And that's all I really meant by respect equals love. It's the respect. And as long as she respects you and looks up to you in the way that she wants you making those decisions, she will want to sleep with you. And that's what, and that's what I meant by what I said earlier. So I, everything that you just said sounds good to me. In fact, it's even better that you gave her more stock. Like the money is aside, like give her the 51%, whatever. But the fact that she came to you as the decision maker, I think is ideal. Yeah. So you earned it. These are the easy parts. Now we want to get into the hard part, which is, okay, Mr. Bilyeu, if you're correct, and this is really the way to move forward, what do you do when you unshackle women, educate the shit out of them? They're better at education, so they're pulling ahead. 
they are usually more conscientious, more organized. So easier to manage a lot of times. Yeah. Yep. Less problematic, more organized. And so they fire ahead of men. Yep. Now what? Jay Waller. What do we do? Because that is the situation we find ourselves in. Women are finally, thank God, unshackled. And all of society now gets to benefit from their insights, their wisdom, their talents, all of it. But it creates a dynamic, which is at least in pockets problematic. Because if hypergamy is real, and it does seem to be, maybe it will diminish over time. There'll probably be second and third order consequences to that. But for now, it's pretty steady that they're still going over and up. Mm-hmm. But the pool of men that qualify for over or up is diminishing by the second. I think one or two things will happen. Either we will go back to that kind of that polygamy situation, like we talked about before, or we're going to have to go all the way socialist and nobody owns anything. But I, either way, I think it's going to get I ugly. I don't understand how that You know works. how they say that there's going to be some point that nobody's going to own anything and they like it? It's some bullshit that the left's putting on. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. yeah but we can derail on that. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. It won't work. It won't work. So um, I, I don't think it's going to be pretty. I think there's going to be more and more men that are sexless. And I think there's going to be more and more women that have this natural urge in them, this maternal urge, the thing that God truly gifted them with, their superpower, that they're not going to be able to fulfill it. And, and they're going to end up working for these big corporations that allow them to freeze their eggs or have abortions or do these other things. And they're going to miss out on probably the most beautiful and most important job in the world. And that's being a mother. And also, I might add, the hardest job in the world. And it's a shame. Do you think that will self-correct? I think it would have to. I don't know that the powers that be don't want less people. They're worried about the climate and everything. Uh, but I think it would have to self-correct. I think as humans, we're naturally going to self-correct anything that will allow survival. So maybe we start putting incentive programs to have babies. Maybe we champion women that are... I think they did that in Japan. I don't think it's helped. Maybe not. Because I think if the underlying problem persists... The hypergamy thing. Yeah. The, I, I'll, well, I'll even say it the other way. If If the ideal that men strive for is weakness is supplication, uh, then they will, this problem will persist. And this is, so you said something earlier that actually really hit me and I like a lot. uh, And I'm going to imagine is one of the more inflammatory things you've said, which is a real man is somebody who can go from slitting a throat to holding a baby in the same day. I think most guys are like, word, and most women are mortified. So one of the um, I disagree. Angles, I think I think that a woman tell me more. I think that a woman, most women, even the hard ones, even the big boss bitch women, ultimately, if the right man sits in front of her at the table and he controls his frame and he and he is truly meaning what he's saying, and she finds him to be competent, charming, and all the other things, that she will gladly put down the boss bitch crown and be submissive and be happy inside that role. I true. I just don't think those men are walking around everywhere. Interesting. I think you're going to have a PR problem. Maybe. So I don't know that you're wrong in the final analysis, but as I think about how do we get there? So take my own wife. One of the angles that I considered for the episode was Jordan Peterson has a really powerful idea. And he said, uh, being harmless is not virtuous. That's right. And so it was like harmless men are weak was like the angle. And even my wife was like, no, that's horrible. She was like, yeah, she was like, as a woman, I want a guy to be harmless towards me. Now I think they're wrong. 
And I think yeah. what my wife, who I know better than anyone on this planet, what she wants is for me to be dangerous covered, to them. Yes, covered in the blood of my enemies. Yep. Co- I'll, even easier, covered in the blood of her enemies that I slay anyone that yep. tries to damage her or touch this family or hurt us in some way yep. that I would go on the offensive and that she never has to worry. And she's safe in your arms. Correct. Yep. And going back to Jordan Peterson's idea of, so his whole thing, his analysis, I don't know that this is true. I'd have to look into it, but the idea of the meek shall inherit the earth. And I never understood that. And cause I read meek is weak. And I was like, why on God's green earth would weak people ever inherit the earth? They're not going to, it just, the world does not work in that way. And his read is that meek in old Latin or Greek or whatever actually meant the person capable of great violence that keeps their sword sheathed. So Bruce Lee says, you know, the the best way to win a fight is to not engage. But you're only choosing, going back to your idea of choice, you're only choosing whether to fight if you actually can fight. Otherwise, you're just being a coward. That's right. And so that to me feels like the real analysis but the way that it's talked about, especially now, this this uh, message was approved is all about uh, being aggressive is toxic. Like I I am very stubborn about the idea of mansplaining. I'm going to mansplain whatever the fuck. Like if mansplaining. What is that? Uh, you actually have not heard that phrase. Wow, that's impossible. So mansplaining <laughs> is where a guy uh, is inappropriately explaining something to other people as if they don't understand it. And wow. my read is if you assume that somebody is doing anything other than either trying to be generous with their knowledge, or they're just excited that they know something and they want to share it. And that's a pretty natural thing to be like, oh my God, I know something about, it. I want to like show that I know about basket weaving or whatever. Um, that I think is is what's really going on. Anyway, that one winds me up, but that's my own hang up. Do you know another thing that's kind of in, in on that topic of the being strong thing, it, this fake virtue signaling when they're, they're really just cowards. A lot of women fall for the mistake of the men that are like, I would never do that. There's a huge difference between not being able to get women and being loyal. And that's one thing that I find to be very hypocritical of a lot of men that will run around and talk about, I would never do that. I would never do this, this, and this. Oh no, my friend, you can't. So don't say that you're loyal when it's really just your inability to garner attention from other women. Same thing with violence. You know, don't act like you turn the other cheek. If you have just not created a scenario where you're physically capable of such, you know, so I, I believe, I believe completely in what you're saying. I completely agree. I have a question for you. Please. What are your thoughts on Jordan Peterson? So I think he's amazing. I think he tweets like a maniac. And if I could get him to stop tweeting, I would. Uh, I don't like this sort of bitterness vibe, but I think that he is once again onto something critically important, which is, okay, we've lost God at the center of our mythology and our self-understanding, and that has had critical implications. He wants to refill that hole with religion. I, I think that's played out, but I do think that it does have to be replaced with a shared narrative. I don't think that shared narrative has to be asking people to believe that there really is this divine creature or whatever, but I do think that we need something. It has to be shared. It, it, it is the fact that we don't share a mythology that's causing a problem, in my opinion. 
I agree that Christianity is the reason that we live in civilization the way we do today. I think Christianity was very, very, very good for us as humans to work together and have morals and not kill each other and not rape and pillage. I agree with that. Um, I also think that you're probably right that he's not going to save it religion. I do find it quite interesting that he had this huge epiphany at such an age and after something negative has happened to him. I think that's very interesting, you know, and I think a lot of people that go to Christianity wait until something bad happens and then they come out of it. Christians. I, I find that interesting. For sure. In what way you find it interesting? I, I don't know what your read is on Christianity. Good, bad, in I, be, a I believe context. I believe in God, um, a Christian God. I believe that there's a God in some collective consciousness. Can you define a God? I think that that God exists in our collective consciousness of knowing what's right and wrong and what's best for the species. If humans were wiped out, would God cease to exist? Probably. Okay. So it's a, it's an idea that we all share, but let me, but, but why he's real, right? Why God's real. I heard Andrew say this and I, and I really resonate with it. He said, if you were on a ship and, and it wrecked and there were two islands and you could swim one or two directions and you swam towards the island of a godless island, savages, they would kill you. But if you swam left and it was a religious society and because of God, they're God. They did not kill you and you lived. Is God real? And in that perspective, I think Andrew was right. Do I think there's a guy in heaven that's going to send me to hell for sleeping with women or doing stuff that people don't like sometimes or saying the truth? No, I don't. I don't. Uh, in regards to Jordan, I think it's interesting because he lived his entire life uh, before something bad happened to him. And I just think it's kind of a system like a it's a pattern. People have something bad and they, and they run to God all of a sudden. I do think that's interesting. And, and what is it there that's allowing him to hold it? You know, like the bad time is over. He's probably got another book out by now. What, what is it for him? And then this is a genuine question that's, that's allowing him to still hold on to it or not feel like a bit of a hypocrite inside. I did. So he's assuming nothing falls apart. He's coming on the show late in the year this year. And I want to ask him precisely about this idea. Uh, now he's the book he's writing is about, I think it's called temporarily anyway, uh, those that struggle with God. Now I still don't know. I don't know how he would answer the question now. Do you believe in God? Because for a long time, he said, I act as if. So in the beginning, beginning, it was like, I don't, but I act as if. Then it was just, I act as if. And now I'd be very curious to know if he's really like refound a Christian style faith, or if he looks at the Bible the way I do, which is a, a monomyth. It is a way for everybody in society to rally around a set of principles yeah. and ideas. And it's very good for society in many ways. Mm. Depending on what slots into that, yes. So Christianity has on balance probably been good. If you were in the middle of the Crusades and you were on the Muslim side, you probably weren't a big fan. Right. But uh, I think that probably on balance, if we're really going to, and I have not looked at this problem well enough. I'm now at the edge of what I understand. I always like to disclose that. but. Um, taking the frame for a second that Western civilization really is largely born of a Judeo-Christian ethic and that we can therefore, if society is really downstream of that belief system, and then we can look at what we have and go, okay, cool. Does that good or bad? I would say Western civilization is an unbelievable miracle that yanks people out of poverty as fast as humanly possible. Um, so yeah, I'm certainly a fan of the result. 
Do you trust that he's even going to tell you the truth? Jordan? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Aggressively. Now, I don't know Jordan well. I've interviewed him, but I've never had an interaction with him that wasn't an interview. Uh, but from everything that he pushes out, that man has taken more smoke, brought more smoke on him for just saying what he believes is true. If he's lying, bro, pick a better lie because this guy is like constantly embroiled in like yeah. lawsuits and governmental bodies and like, God damn, if yeah. this is him lying, holy shit. So yeah, that would just be nonsensical. So the only thing, and, and he, so here's something I really share with him. There's a trifecta of books. If people have not read them, they must. You, you know nothing about humans until you read the following three books. And that is The Gulag Archipelago by Alexandra Solzhenitsyn, uh, The Rise and Fall of the Third Reich, and Mao, The Untold Story. And when you read those books, which are like the three great um, genocides, really, of the 20th century, it, it's unimaginable. It's unimaginable how evil people can be. Like how, oh God, I'd much rather be a dog on Visqueen sliding into a crocodile's mouth. Yeah. Like it, it, yeah, yeah. it d humans can be so gnarly. It's almost impossible to imagine. And so those books just go into painstaking detail. There's another one, honorary mention called The Red Famine. Um, and that just happens to be basically about the same thing as the Gulag Archipelago. But in it, it's uh, there was effectively a manufactured famine in the Ukraine uh, in the 1920s. And they, they killed what were called the Kulaks. And the Kulaks were basically the successful farmers. So imagine like your, your high-performing uh, entrepreneurs. It, when people say eat the rich, what I hear is kill the Kulaks. Right. And I'm just like, bro, this experiment has been run. And in the book, this woman, they casually just mentioned this, this woman's walking by her neighbor's house in the middle of the winter. This is the Ukraine, okay? It's not like a, right. a winter in California. I've been. It's a yeah, fucking yeah. winter. Yeah, yeah. She's walking by her neighbor's house. She looks in the window and she sees a woman eating, eating her seven-year-old daughter. That's what humans are capable of. And so from the lunacy of killing your best performing farmers to like, well, daughter's only seven. If I eat her, at least I can survive. Yeah. If she eats me, she's still going to die. She's only seven, doesn't know how to do anything. So I'm just going to fucking eat her. Like, now remember, I see myself in that story. And I am terrified that that line of good and evil runs through my own heart. And do I want to say that I would never? Yes. But as you were saying earlier, so <clears throat> humans are capable of some really, really horrendous things. And so Jordan turned me on to the Gulag Archipelago, really got me thinking about just how horrendous people can be. Makes sense. I'll have to read those. It's uh, yeah, it's super intense. Now, what made you ask about Jordan Peterson? There are times where I feel like he's a bit hypocritical. Really? Yeah. Because he used to be atheist. I don't know if he ever would have used that word. And now no, he's... No, no issue with that, really. It's really more to me about running around talking about being mentally tough and then jumping on medications and having to go to rehab and things like that. Interesting. Yeah. Like he's running around telling young men to be strong and all this other shit. And then the first thing he does is go start popping pills and doesn't face it. And he also talks about being capable. I don't find would be overly capable. I know he's an older man. I don't mean no disrespect to him. He's very well accomplished. He's accomplished a lot. I would never disrespect him. But in those regards, I found him to be a bit hypocritical. Interesting. 
When it comes to platforms that will help you run a business, there is no shortage of options on the market. But if you want to use the best, most advanced, and most efficient platform out there, you need to be using Shopify. For whatever and wherever you want to sell, from launching to going international, Shopify is the global commerce platform that will help you grow at every stage of your business. With award-winning customer service, the internet's highest converting checkout page, and a suite of integrated AI tools. Tools, Shopify is your all-in-one platform to quickly and efficiently take your business to the next level. I love everything about Shopify because it makes it so easy to start, run, and grow a business. Shopify powers more than 10% of all U.S. e-commerce because businesses that want to grow quickly use Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial at shopify.com slash impact, all lowercase. Again, go to shopify.com slash impact right now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash impact. In today's highly unpredictable and rapidly changing world, the smartest move you can make from a financial standpoint is to actually understand how money works and how markets move. Because if you want to have any chance of investing your money wisely and growing your financial portfolio, you have to make a profit. And the only way that you're going to do that is either by setting and forgetting or actually understanding what's going on at a macro level. So whether you're a seasoned investor or someone looking for extra guidance, today's sponsor, Yahoo Finance, has got you covered with all the tools, data, and news that you need in one place to grow your knowledge base around what is happening in the world of finance and to make sure that you have the right goals and you're executing well. Yahoo Finance makes it easy to consolidate your accounts so you can effectively and efficiently manage your entire portfolio. Personally, I love how straightforward their platform is to use. It is very simple to get the information that I need. And Impact Theory's own chief financial officer is exactly the same, spending time helping me frame exactly what is going on from a global perspective so that I'm making the smartest decisions that I can. I definitely recommend that you check out Yahoo Finance for comprehensive financial news and analysis. Visit the incredible brand that so many great investors use at yahoofinance.com. It's the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Once again, guys, head there now, yahoofinance.com. If getting your hands dirty and taking good care of your car or cars is a passion of yours, then eBay Motors is here for the ride because I'm sure you remember when you first saw the potential in that beauty. And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly with ebay motors brake kits led headlights exhaust kits turbochargers bumpers whatever your baby needs ebay motors has it and with ebay guaranteed fit it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time every time or your money back plus at these prices you're burning rubber not cash keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com Eligible items only, exclusions apply. Okay, so you and I see this very differently. Let me see if I can convince you. Yeah. Uh, here's my read on Jordan for sure, and just about anybody um, in that position, I think I'd feel the same. So my read on Jordan is you have a very successful college professor who 
as far as academics go, has an amazing career. He already has multiple streams of revenue because he is extraordinarily smart. He wrote one of the most, his book um, on mythology, Maps of Meaning, uh, as a storyteller. Like that's one of the most profound books I've, I've read. It's just Didn't say you weren't talented. Unbelievable. No, we'll get there. But like, I'm trying to paint a picture of somebody who has yeah. everything going for him. His life is amazing. He does. He's stud. But this is, this is back right before Bill C-16. So pre-Bill C-16, all this going for him, doing great, taught at Harvard for a while. I mean, it just, you don't get a better academic career. He's got a private practice. He's helping a lot of people, turning around lives. He spent, I forget how many hours he said, something like 32 hours trying to teach a man with, I think, an 84 IQ how to fold paper and put it in an envelope. Like, this is a guy that has really gone out of his way to help humanity. Great man. So you got to bear with me. I'll get yeah, there. I, and so- Cause we're, we're, what I'm building towards is hypocrisy. Okay. okay, cool. So he's, he's got this life. Now Bill C-16 pops up. He's read the Gulag Archipelago. He's read Mal the Untold Story. He knows the rise and fall of the Third Reich. He knows what humans are capable of. And he believes, not to put words in his mouth, this is my interpretation, that he believes that all it takes for all hell to break loose is for good men to remain silent in that moment where it's going to be self-destructive to stand up for what you believe is true. And so he says, hey, I don't think we're far from that now. Agreed. I I think he was the tip of the spear. So he ends up standing up for it. And for all intents and purposes, it it ends up working out okay in many ways. But for all intents and purposes, he has devastating consequences in his life. I mean, just blows his life up, gets one of the biggest cancellations you're ever going to see. I mean, just ruthless. And he builds back. And I think he says now he's got like 10 lawsuits happening at once. I mean, for him to stand up and speak about what he thinks is true, he has paid an extraordinary price. Now, if he is right that all it takes for evil to take over is for good men to say nothing, then sort of whether somebody reads his actions as hypocritical or not, he's done this amazing service, okay? In my view. Agreed. So he pays this tremendous price, does this very important thing. Now, he, let's say his wife gets diagnosed, not let's say, his wife gets diagnosed in the middle of all this madness. His wife gets diagnosed with cancer and all of a sudden he has anxiety just overwhelming him. Now I have to imagine the vast majority of humanity has anxiety way before that moment, way before that moment. And so he struggles. Now, could we really say that Jordan has not worked on being mentally tough? That seems insane to me. But here's a guy who's like, I'm going to take every tool that's available to me. And drugs are one of the tools available to me. Now, I would advise him and anybody that will listen to me, do not take a drug that you have to take every day. I don't take anything every day except Zyrtec, which is an antihistamine. And even that, I'm like, I shouldn't be taking this every day. So I don't think people should take any substance every day. But if, if you have... If you have not, if you have an anxiety or depression disorder and you have not mastered it yet, and you need in acute situations, a pharmacological intervention, I'm all for that. Now, I think he would agree that the way he went about it was foolish and I doubt he'd do it again. But with all of that crashing down on him, the fact that he has a breaking point, like everybody has a breaking point. The fact that he used a, an exogenous substance to try to deal with it, 
word, like whatever, use everything at your disposal. And so, and I agree with that, use everything at your disposal to, to the point of, uh, for sure, if I ever needed drugs, I would do it. I would try to do everything in my power first, for sure, for sure, for sure. But as somebody that dealt with profound anxiety, and the only reason I didn't take anxiety medication at the height of that was because I was so terrified, I didn't take daily anxiety medication. I was so terrified of taking anything daily, but acute, yes. I was like, dude, I don't know what the fuck is going on, but I feel like uh, I'm in a constant state of dread and I don't know why. Now, what it ended up being is my diet, but at the time I didn't know that. I had no idea. So I felt completely lost in the woods. Now, but I still, even though I wasn't on camera at the time, I still would tell people, anybody who'd listen, you gotta be toughening your mind. I'm saying it to myself. And I'm like, but I was very open. I'm, I have this anxiety. I don't know why the fuck. I'm working through it. It doesn't feel and there we critical are. to me. And there we are. Yeah. Do you feel like he was as transparent as you are right now? I because I agree never with every, hit me that he was. I, I didn't know that he was or wasn't I, talking about I, it. I agree with everything you just said. My problem, and not even really a problem because I don't have a problem with him. The inconsistency I see is that he was not as transparent as you are right now. It didn't hit me weird at all. So one, when I look at humans, I assume they are deeply flawed. And Jordan Peterson and Tom Bilyeu and are, Justin Waller for sure, completely flawed, deeply flawed. every way. So man, I, I look at him, if I'm being honest, even though I look at things like his tweets and they make me angry. Cause I'm like, Jordan, what the fuck are you doing? He did a whole podcast about how he tweets like a psychopath and he should probably stop. Yes, you should. It was a great podcast, by the way, Jordan, uh, take that advice. But I, I really do believe that he has been, and I get made fun of. I'm not sure what the right word is. I think people that stand up for what they believe in are brave and that I, for a long time, Justin Waller, I hid behind my guests on my own interview show. And I didn't say what I believed. And if people were saying something that I thought that's fucking crazy, I just stayed quiet. And I was like, I'm going to edit that out. And then I started when COVID kicked off, I felt like a coward and I didn't like that feeling. And so I was like, well, now I'm going to have to start talking about this. And I didn't want to, because I was looking at Jordan Peterson. Understand, you don't know this about me. You asked me about this before we started rolling. I never got to the punchline. This shirt is a character I created in the video game that we're building. And that is the joy of my life, is telling stories that empower people. So anyway, I, I want to be the next Walt Disney, man. Yeah. And I know that every, I've said 90 things in this podcast alone that are going to make a certain set of people never want to interact with my games or whatever. Right. And that makes me sad, it but I don't want to be a coward. It makes me happy for you because I feel like the truest form of living life is living life on your own terms and speaking your truth. One thing I've learned yes. about going on social media is that, yeah, maybe some people hate me, but I get 10 X love and a deeper love from people that really appreciate me for who I actually am. Mm-hmm. And so for that reason, you'll have a cult following of people that play your game and anybody else was going to wait till you said something else. I didn't like and bail on you anyway. So fuck them. That is the final analysis, but you and I both know that if you're going to get anywhere useful in life, you can't lead with your emotions. Correct. And so you might think fuck them, but for everybody listening, I would highly encourage you to move through life with integrity and strategy. You can't just be a dumbass bull in a china shop that says whatever the fuck all the time. What have you said on this podcast that was not integrity? Uh, I've been entirely in integrity in this podcast. Exactly. So if those people were to not play your video game because you just stated the truth, aren't you still in integrity and aren't they just 
going to hate you later when you say something else they don't like. Okay. I'm going to give, since you're his friend, I'm going to give Andrew Tate advice through you. Dear Andrew, you're very smart and you're going to positively impact a lot of people. But the way that you frame things in such an inflammatory way is fucking moronic Okay. because you brought a lot of attention, but now Let's assume, and I don't know, I know you do, and I know you are 100% convinced that he's innocent. And I love that. Even, even if you're wrong, I love that you're loyal and all that. So no disrespect. I don't know the fucking guy. I never met him. Nothing. But he's on camera saying things that I would have advised him not to say ever, even if he's joking. So he has, by not being as strategic as he should have been, and I've heard him admit, he, he always couches it. Seeing how influential I am now, I would have said things differently. Yes, very wise. Because the reality is the way that he has purported himself, again, assuming that he did not do these things, the way that he put himself out there, got him a huge following and made him a literal enemy of the state. And at some point, man, you just, that was not as strategic of a move as it could have been. So there, I'm just like, you need to have integrity. You need to say what is true, but you also need to be real. What is the world really like? And you talk about that. You want your kids to know what the world is really like. And the world is really like, there are other powerful forces out there. And if you pretend that they're not, you're going to get blindsided by dumb shit that you could have avoided. End of message. End of message. Okay. Message as Andrew's friend. Andrew may have said some things that he didn't, that might not serve him now. He might've said them very loudly when he had a small following. Andrew, like Jordan, is not perfect, but I do think he's a greater good than Jordan. That's going to piss some people off. Fine. But I can tell you right now, Andrew's faced just as much as Jordan, if At not more, point, probably more, if not more, keeping a completely sober mind, doing push-ups, having young men get better all over the world, despite the fact that he's the enemy of the state. Mm -hmm. He's turned it around and has helped many young men go to Islam, whether you agree with that or not is I guess a non-issue, but it is definitely a stronger path and degeneracy, getting them fit, teaching them to make money all over the world in the real world, which I also promote. Mm -hmm. And I would argue that Andrew Tate is one of the greatest forces for good and truth that exists in the world today in front of your friend, Jordan. So on that, I would say, so again, I don't know Andrew, so take all of my comments with a grain of salt as somebody who's not an Andrew scholar, but Looking at it from the outside, I see hypocrisy in his actions from, and I don't know Islam well enough. So again, I'm a, I'm a headline reader right now, but at a headline reader level, him saying that, um, you know, women shouldn't be on OnlyFans, but then profiting off of women being on OnlyFans does not strike me as non-hypocritical. Also, and I think this is like, so when I look at Jordan and Jordan saying, yeah, fuck, I needed the medication and I had to do it. And I never read it as he wasn't being honest. I don't know if he talked about it or whatever, but I was impressed when Andrew wrote the tweet saying, I can't remember if he said he was, one day he said, I, I almost cried in jail today, almost. And I thought, whoa, like he's actually being honest and he's being vulnerable. And then the other day he put out a post, and this is pretty recent, he's back home under house arrest. And he said, um, I'm, I haven't slept more than 45 minutes a night because I'm so worried. I don't remember if he used the word worried, but it was like, okay, whoa, like obviously this is really weighing on him and all that. 
Now, that was not a signal to me that you have a person with a weak mind, nor is it a signal to me that Jordan having anxiety is the signal of a person with a weak mind. Now, if Jordan had been screaming from the rooftops, anybody that's on um, pharmacology is a fucking idiot and what are you doing and that makes you weak and bad, and then it came out that he was using it, I have to imagine if he didn't out and out say, I've prescribed this to my patients and uh, it's helped a lot of people, my, when I heard he was on it, I was like, oh yeah, like it, it didn't even make my radar is like, oh, that doesn't mean that you're strong anymore. Plus let's say that Jordan is the weakest person in the world. I would still, which want I don't him believe. Say, no, no, no. And you haven't said yeah. that. I'm just saying, even if he was, I would still want him to say, Hey guys, look, I'm totally weak, but I really encourage you to be strong. And I know that because I'm weak, you guys aren't going to take it as seriously, but it really, from all the clients I've seen, like that really feels like the right way to get the most out of your life. Like the right message is the right message. And that is if somebody deploys, this is how I judge all advice. If somebody deploys your advice in their real life, will it move them towards human flourishing and reduce suffering? If yes, good advice. If no, bad advice, that simple. And so I don't care if it comes from the most flawed person in the universe. And this is how Tate made my radar. Cause I was like, look, I got to admit pretty inflammatory kind of freaks me out, but 10% of what he says is really real. And you would be a fool to dismiss. And so, yeah, I'm not a, I, I don't have the response to anybody that says a true message from uh, what you're calling a hypocritical stance that you do, because I think most people are flawed. I can only imagine if people went back through everything I've ever said, I've said a ton of dumb hypocritical too, shit. Man. And so I'm just like, oh God. So anyway, I look at people as wildly flawed individuals, hopefully trying to do their best, knowing that people will walk lines, flirt with shit that they probably shouldn't. Um, but I know about myself that if every word I had ever said were recorded, especially with my wife, who I lay some outrageous shit on her, uh, I would not like that. So I give everyone that grace. Yeah. What makes you happy? Jay Waller, are you now interviewing me? Yes. Uh, what makes me well, happy? We can argue about Jordan and Tate if you want to. Um, if there's more to say, I'm happy to say it. I said everything I had to say. Do you, if you have more to say, please. There's no bullet I won't take for Tate. I know. Let's talk about that just at a brotherhood level. So if you take a bullet for Tate, you die and leave your kids alone. No, Andrew would take care of my whole family. What do you mean? So because of that, if that weren't in place, is that a key part of why you would take a bullet? It's, that's just an understood that he'd take care of everything. I think that the relationship we have fosters itself to fighting for each other in every way. So he does things for me all the time. In fact, uh, just the other day I needed something. He texts the CEO immediately. I mean, like we're constantly working together and doing things when, when he was in jail, I would go pick his mom up and, and stepdad meet them and take them to lunch. You know, we cover each other like that. It's, it's honor. It's something that I think is highly missing. Brotherhood is highly missing from young men today. They're on their phones or by themselves. I have a real relationship with a real person. I don't look I I told Andrew this once, man. I was like, dude, I got nothing against Cobra Tate. But I love Andrew and there is no Jay Waller when I'm at his house It's hey, Justin or cowboy or whatever. And so it's just, it's just something that I feel like a lot of people are missing. A lot of people think that we're missing something, our group of friends, 
You know, oh, you don't have kids. Well, newsflash, I got kids. Oh, you don't have this. Dude, I have it all. I literally have everything. I have family. I have children that love me. I have a wife that loves me. My mother-in-law brings my kids out to my car when I leave for work. I got Andrew. I have brotherhood. I have Tristan. I have the whole war room. There's nothing missing from my life. I am truly, truly happy in every way. I think a lot of people want to hate on our group. And, and say that we're not happy or like we were aimlessly sleeping with all these women and stuff. And it's just not true. Just last week when I was at his house, it's, he's sitting here. I'm sitting by his mom. His stepdad's over here. Tristan's here. We're all joking, laughing. His kickboxing coaches across the way screaming at us to eat onions because it makes us stronger. It was a family. It was the most wholesome thing you've ever seen. I always say the best side of Andrew is a side that the world never sees. Mm. And if I were ever to give him advice, it was to be it would be to show who you are when it's just us because it's one of the most incredible men you'll ever meet. Mm. And of course I'm going to feel that way. Of course I'm biased. Of course I feel that way about my closest friends and Tristan and Sterling Cooper and some of these other guys and some of the guys that I know from the war room, of course, but it is such a great honor for me to be able to protect and stick up for them with the opportunity that I've been given. And I won't let that pass me by. Mm. What would you do if you found something that made you believe he is guilty? It would break my heart because if he's guilty, not only am I wrong, I'm a fool because I've spent way too much time in his house. He would have had to do it right underneath my nose. He would have had to be doing it in multiple cities on car. Like it's just not even a thought in my mind. It's not even a possibility. I've been around him way too much. I have way too many employees. I've been lied to way too many times. I would have caught a micro expression somewhere. He is the most consistent person I know. And Tristan. For that matter, I don't worry about whether they're going to get upset with me about something or if we're going to argue about something. I've never had an argument with either one of them. We've debated for sure and enjoy doing it. And it's fun, but it's only about getting better and what the goal is and on the, on the mission to the goal. It's never personal. He's one of the most consistent people I've ever met. Truly. I know what to expect when I talk to him. So I um, hope that answers the question. But it does. I have a, another layer to that. So now please. abstract it because what, what I find interesting in you and what I think you represent, what I hope young men hear from you, um, there is something special that they should be unapologetic about, about building a group of men that hold them to a standard and that they hold them to a standard and that they have a brotherhood and that there is honor and that hopefully that they love a a small, almost inevitably, a small group of people that they would lay their lives down for. And this is, you know, if I can imagine that very little good comes out of war, but that tends to be where people say like, I've never um, had that sort of camaraderie like I did when we had a shared adversary and our backs were against the wall and it really was live or die. There's, we're wired for that as a species. And so in a modern context, you don't really get that. I had that a little bit in business and every now and then there'll be a click inside the company. Uh, right now we have a, a crew of guys and it's not this far um, to being like, I take a bullet for these guys, but it feels different. There's a group that stays really late every night, not because they have to, but because they want to. And you know, it's that it fills something in my life that I don't get anywhere else. And so the edge I want to explore with that is I've heard you say that you had been betrayed before. And so it really took you a minute to trust, but that giving yourself over like that again and trusting again felt awesome. And so I want to know what would you do if you then felt betrayed by them? 
anybody you're you're like abstracted from them because i'm not asking a question about them but you're in a group of people and you feel that sense of brotherhood camaraderie and all that but then there is a betrayal would you go fuck i knew it like this was all bullshit and it could never last or is it like bad apple remove them i understand now what better to look for have to protect the brotherhood absolutely bad apple because i think having family and people you can trust relentlessly is one of the highest peaks of human joy I really do. There's a special feeling that crosses through me when I know for a fact, if I were to die today, that my kids would have to worry for nothing. And there's a certain honor I get from knowing that if he were to die today, that I would take care of his kids in the same way. Uh, I, I think it's a very rare thing in the world today. And that's why I believe we're true. We're not rich. We're wealthy. You know, I, I genuinely believe that. So if someone were to hurt me today, it would suck. And I would have to process it just like any other human. I would feel the pain just like any other human. I'm not superhuman. I'm like you said, we, plenty of flaws, but I don't find it to be productive for me to shut off the ability to trust moving forward because without trust, there's no speed and without speed, there's no money. There's no love. There's no growth. There's no business and there's no family. So you would have to trust again. How did you guys build that trust over time? We spent a lot of time together. I think you learn a lot about a person when you look them in the eyes. You go through adversity together. We train together. We do all kinds of things together. Just the other day, we were doing mitt work, and Amir is his trainer from Storm and Luton. And Amir was punching me like crazy, and he was knocking the he was hitting me in the solar plexus with the pad. If you ever anybody you've seen Amir, imagine a silverback gorilla with pads in his hand. He's going to punch you. And he kept knocking the breath out of me and, and is already as cardio boxing and just like just dying, just tapping hands going in. And you go through things together, been through the mountains together, done war room events together, been in situations in, in Odessa, Ukraine and in Dubai and like, OK, well, you do this. I do this. Boom, boom, boom. We'll get this done. Bam, boom. You know, we work together on a daily basis. The real world is, in my opinion, probably the best online school that's out there right now. And, and I think that. A kid would be better off doing the real world than he would be going to Stanford. And the reason is because there's millionaires that are doing that business that day, teaching you in real time. And there's a group of people helping you instead of you studying. It's like, Hey, here's the answer. This is what works. And so doing that with him and doing that with those young men and helping them grow. No, I, uh, there's nothing else I'd rather be doing. It's the most fulfilling thing I've ever done in my life. Nobody thanks me for giving them a roof over their head when they pay rent. And certainly not when I hit a construction schedule. So I've never been happier doing this. And that's largely in part to him, you know, asking me to come on it and help be a part of it. And um, I'd much rather be on a team that wins championships than be Kevin Garnett and never win anything, you mm -hmm. know, and be the best player on my team. I think it's lame. And that's I think very unusual. Yeah. Well, I also believe that Scottie Pippen was one of the best players ever because he could have left and been the star somewhere. Mm. But he decided not to because he saw what Michael had. And for that reason, they had plenty, plenty of trophies. And I think in the end, if you can be selfless enough to look at where it makes the most sense, maybe you could have been the fifth best player in the league or you could have been the number one two man ever to live. So to me, man, I don't I know who I am as a person. I run. I have tons and tons of employees. I don't need the ego boost. I want to win and I want to do the right thing for these young men. And I believe that what I'm doing with Andrew is that. So there's no other direction for me to go. Mm. Do you guys have like a, 
a credo? Do you guys have a list of things like to be in this brotherhood, you must adhere to these five principles? Andrew has 41 tenets. I don't know him by heart. He wrote them right after he went to jail. You can easily find them online. And uh, Is that an active part of the core group of guys? How many of you are there in like the tight, tight circle? Four or five. Okay. Yeah. So do you guys live by those things? Obviously not. There's not a credo there, right? But I'll tell you another thing about Andrew that people don't know. He has friends that are from 20 years ago, never became you know, super famous or rich or anything like that. He still flies them over to spend time boxing and training together. You'll see, you'll see them sometimes in Tate confidential. These are very normal guys that he's had 20 year relationships. that he refuses to turn his back on, you know, is there a creed amongst our group of friends? The obvious stuff, you know, do what you say you're going to do, show up and train, you know, be ruthlessly loyal around the subject of women and money. I believe you can learn a lot about a person by just women and money alone. And I don't particularly like to have friends that are not in abundance of either, because if they find themselves in a desperate situation, they will fall to their desperation. Mm. And so we try our best to keep men around us that at least have done the work and the ethics to put themselves in a position to have a little bit of money in, in women, or there's a relationship that's so old, you know, nobody would ever snake you. And so the group has that. We haven't written them down. There's not a credo where I don't think we're getting like group tattoos or anything. So I don't know. Why not? Yeah. Uh, okay. Talk to me about the frame. Like, what does it mean to have a frame, hold a frame? Yeah. yeah. I believe it's a man's job to be a leader. And I think you should lead with conviction. And I think it's not a popular thing to say, but I think it's overwhelmingly true that one, women would rather a man come in, be strong, be the rock that all of her emotional waves crash into. Cause let's face it. Women are more emotional than men. I don't believe that men should show a lot of emotion. I do think it's okay at times if they, if they do, but I think overdoing that, especially with your partner is not a good idea as a man. I believe that men should open doors. I believe they should pay every tab. I believe they should make the, the shot call the shots in the household and make all the business decisions. It's when a man has not put himself in a position to get that respect and trust from a woman that that all falls down. So a lot of men, they want that respect. They want to be the leader. They want to do all, you know, do the things that, you know, a leader should get. But then in turn, they oftentimes are not doing the right things to deserve that credit from the woman. And so she doesn't give that to him. And for that reason, I think a lot of situations fail when the man doesn't show up the way that he should. But I think ideally a man should not only be strong enough to make all decisions, but even protect her from things that are not going to be ideal for the relationship. Like having a crazy social media with your ass and titties everywhere. Not popular, but true. Okay. You know? So what does it mean to hold the frame? Women are going to naturally what they call shit test, right? To test you to see how confident you are. Have you ever heard of a shit test? I haven't. No, really? I'm so outside of this world, but I find it yeah. absolutely fascinating. Yeah. So it is a real thing. Like a girl might, might, here's one that's going to piss some people off. Let's do this. Um, let's say your girlfriend comes to me and she's like, Hey baby, I want to go on a girl's trip. No, no. You got a problem with that, right? You normally, normally you would me. Yeah. Oh yeah. I would never say no. I don't even understand the impulse yeah. yet. So no is why would I put my girl in a club somewhere all dolled up in a dress and high heels with a bunch of other single women. So guys can come hit on her. It's not distrust. It's not insecurity. It's just a foolish move. But it's only foolish if you think she actually might cave. Unless you're worried about getting her 
unless you're worried about her getting assaulted. No. Why would you put her in that circumstance? Why wouldn't you protect her from that circumstance? Doesn't she want to know that you're territorial over her and you would want to protect that at all rights? Don't women deeply, deeply want you to feel for them in that way? No. As someone who is constantly learning new information and skills, I've found some tricks to most effectively and efficiently retain and remember that information. And one of the keys to this process is actively engaging with the content. You have to use it. And when it comes to learning a new language, the most efficient app out there is Babbel. With Babbel's revolutionary conversation-based approach, learning a new language is both efficient and effective. With quick, 10-minute lessons rooted in real-life situations, you can start actually speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Take it from somebody who has struggled mightily to learn Greek to impress my beloved wife and my in-laws. I really wish Babbel had existed back then. It would have helped so much. So I highly encourage you guys to check out Babbel today and take advantage of the special deal for Impact Theory listeners right now. Get 55% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash impact theory. Get 55% off at babbel.com slash impact theory. And that's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com. Again, slash impact theory. Rules and restrictions may apply. If you strive to perform your best in life, bringing your energy and abilities into everything you do, then it only makes sense that you would want to be out on the road with that same power, agility, and performance that everyone expects from you. And there's no better option than the most desirable, advanced, and dynamically capable SUV yet, the third-generation Range Rover Sport. You guys know I love staying on the cutting edge with technology, and the Range Rover Sport's cabin features advanced technologies such as active noise cancellation and cabin air purification, a must, offering you and your family and friends new levels of comfort and refinement while traveling. The Range Rover Sport provides an instinctive drive with engaging on-road dynamics and redefines sporting luxury for the power, agility, and performance you demand in every area of your life. Explore the Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. That's LandRoverUSA.com. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive help supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. So yeah, they here's, do. here's, so, okay. Love, I'm glad we, we're here. We, well, we have to, we have to tease things apart because there are averages. And so, yes, I think a lot of women do, but I think if they're in that phase, there isn't the maturity to the relationship that I think is the great joy. So here was, this is how I came into, um, my marriage. So I was very bad with women when I was young. And I, I would not figuratively, I would literally show up with flowers in a poem, custom written for that girl on the first date. There was one girl I wrote a very clever poem, if I do say so myself, just to get the first date, which P.S. I did not get. And so- Yeah, no shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, this is all terrible. I want everyone to understand this is, did not work. So long story short, I finally cracked the code and I figure out what you have to do. And then suddenly getting women was very easy. 
And so I was like, oh, okay, cool. This is a game. There are psychological principles at play. If you understand the psychological principles, then you can position things well and you can present yourself in a certain way and what we would call hold the frame. And so once I learned how to do that, very, very easy. Uh, and then what I learned though was, okay, what I resonate with is I want to share my life with somebody. And there's a great story about U2, the band. <clears throat> U2 started out as a punk rock band and evolved over the years. But their whole thing was, we're going to find out what it looks like when a band stays together for their entire career. And so Bono could have broken off and done his own thing. Maybe The Edge could have gone off and done his own thing. But they said, no, nope, that's not the game we're playing. The game we're playing is what does it look like when a band stays together for 30 years? And so we all got to watch that play out. And so when I proposed to Lisa, my now wife, um, I was like, I want to share this life with you. And I want to grow with you, build things with you. Like I want to do all of this with you. And on our first anniversary, I gave her a 50th anniversary card. And I said, I'm going to earn this. And one day this will be true. And our, our whole life has been predicated around that and being honest. And I said, look, I'm always going to want to sleep with other women. Don't be paranoid about it because I'm committed to you. And so I won't sleep with other women, but I don't ever want you to feel insecure because I'm saying dumb shit like, oh, I only have eyes for you because you're going to know better than that. And I don't need you to pretend that you don't find other people attractive. What I need to know is that despite the fact that you find other people attractive, despite the fact that there will be times where I'm up and times where I'm down, I need to know when I'm down that you have so much belief in me that you would never cheat, that that would be disloyal. And speaking of creeds, that you would just never violate the the promise that we're making to each other and so over but you do know that that's bullshit right no it's it is a it is bullshit accurate. let me tell you why it's bullshit please the only reason it's bullshit is because you actually achieved everything you set out to achieve mm -hmm. you could have made that creed all day long but if you would not have become tom bill you yep and you would have been in a position or put her in a position where she didn't respect you anymore she would have cheated on your ass and that creed would have been out the window you were a winner. And for that reason, she stayed because I don't want to mix the truth to young men about what it is. It's not your love story or your poem. Mm -hmm. It's the fact that you became who you are as a man. Let me ask you, how many years do you think I made her poor before I made her uh, even sort of middle-class wealthy? She agreed. She believed in you the whole time. Yes, because for she, sure. Women but that's bet, very women different. Women bet on horses. Yes. We don't have she, any disagreement. And she saw uh -huh. in you what was always inevitable to become true and that you would win. Okay. But then it isn't about me ultimately accomplishing it. It's about her believing in me. Which the whole I agree time. With. And you should Perfect. always be taking her on that ride. It's your job. Yes, I have, but I have, understand. So this all started with, would I let her go on the girl's trip? And do I think that it's right. foolish? So we have created this yeah. pact marriage. I mean, for us, it was very traditional. So it was, we had vows and we took those vows seriously. And we talked a lot about what they meant. And we don't even make jokes about divorce. We call it the D word. I don't tease her like, Oh, do like that. that. And I'm going to leave like, you. Like we don't that. fuck around with that. Yeah. You don't put it in, in consciousness. I no love way. That. Yep. So we do all kinds of things like that to protect it. Talk about how we want to share our life, build our life together. We do things like, Hey, we're founding this company and it's going to be 50, 50. And I care not about like, I've said things like, um, because I really believe it. Hey, if I ever found out you were cheating on me, it's fine. You, you have earned your half. I will give you my half. I'll never speak to you again, but take your half and go. I'm not going to fight you. Not so you put that in reality and not the D word. Yeah. I, because what I want her to understand is this is when I'm, when I'm talking about that, I need her to understand I wouldn't be who I am 
if you hadn't helped me become this person. And I recognize your contributions. There was a moment, your, your fans are going to hate this. Uh, I'm not a crier. There are times where I'm like, I actually would feel better if I could cry, but I just can't cry. And there was one time I was fucking ugly crying because this was before the internet came along and I was just starting to be really successful. And I think it was tied to when I got put on a magazine cover. And I was like, the world is never going to know that I wouldn't be who I am without you. And that I don't need, I literally don't know who I would be if I hadn't met her. I met her when I was 24. And so I was 24. I was broke. I was stupid. I was, I had big ambitions and she believed in me. She looked at the horse and she saw something, but at the time I was not going anywhere useful. And so it really was, um, her having the belief, like you said, but me knowing that she had gone for a long time helping turn me into something and I became that thing and she was never going to get recognized for it. And that was really heartbreaking. Now she's ended up getting her fair share of credit and stepping out in front of the camera. You think anyway, that was really important to her? Um, no. Yeah, exactly. I just wanted her to be recognized but exactly, for though, what she'd done. You were working really hard. She was supporting you. I, I think I honestly genuinely think that your relationship from what I can tell with your wife is beautiful. I just simply disagree with how you got there. Okay. So give me, how do you think we got there? Like you were sitting there crying because you believe that she wanted some kind of credit for all this work that you had done while she had supported you. No, I was crying because I was so grateful and I didn't think she would ever get the credit. Not that she wanted it. But if she didn't want the credit, don't you think she was fulfilled already in what she had done in supporting you? Yeah. And that was probably part of why it was so, uh, uh, actually, no, mixed in that was by then I knew that she was very unhappy being a stay-at-home wife. Really? Yeah. This the And she didn't want to have children. She did in the beginning and did not around that time, yeah. What do you think drove that? I think it's complex. So I want people to hear me. I am walking a dangerous path that I do not recommend to people. And I think the default path should be children. I think the default path should be marriage and children, but you have to figure out how to manage relationships. Very difficult, especially if you have kids. So I am, I, like, I thanked you. I thank people very sincerely for having children. And I'm very grateful. And I think it is what most people should do for a whole host of reasons. Uh, so when she said she didn't want to have kids, I was like, you need to really think about this because I will get my meaning and purpose from building businesses. And I'm, while I think it's a higher risk path, I love it. And so far have not found myself saying, I want kids enough that I want to have them now. So my, what I've always said about kids is I really want kids and I do. The only thing I want more than I want to have kids is to not have kids. Now I've big brothered and I know it's not the same. It's a very small fraction, but I've big brothered enough to know what it's like to have somebody look up to you, to have somebody who's like, you're shaping me into an adult. It, it is a deeply meaningful relationship, even at that level. So I can only imagine when it's your own progeny. So I'm, as a as somebody who doesn't have kids, I'm about as aware as you're going to get the power of having children. But I always just didn't want them a little bit more than I wanted them. And so I was honest with myself and I said, you're gonna regret this decision when you're 80. Once I'm done being a player and a coach, I will regret that I don't have kids. I will regret that they don't live beyond me. And I know that when I'm on my deathbed, I'll be like, man, that really sucks. Now I can give a whole masterclass on, it's all about controlling your own frame. It's not, controlling a frame isn't just about other people. It's how do I think about myself and my own choices? 
And so I know a part of me will be very sad. A part of me is sad today that I don't have kids, but it's very easy for me to frame what I'm doing and the choices that I'm making in a way that make me feel very good about my what life. What stops you from reframing it for yourself if you know this is- To bad. have kids? Yeah. I could. Yeah, but why don't you? Because I don't have anything that compels me to make that change. I don't think that my life would be better. I think it would be safer, but not better. You don't think that your kids will add to your life? I think they would, but they will also take something away. There's no Which utopia. There are only trade-offs. Okay, yeah, but- Choices would be one, freedom, how I spend my time. I know that I would have a very deep sense of obligation to my kids, which is beautiful. I love that about me. I, I, am, I love that about me. The same way that I feel a deep sense of obligation to all the employees that count on me to make wise decisions so they can pay their rent right. and raise their kids. Uh, I love that about me. I love that I feel that What way. would you say, and by the way, I do not agree with this, yeah, yeah. but what do you say to the people that would say that that's selfish? Uh, I don't mind at all. Sure. Yeah. I-, I I won't say that I don't care about what other people think, but I don't steer by what other people think. I think we are all the shout and the echo. So the shout is what you do and what you say, and the echo is what people think about it. And it's like, yeah, I hear that coming back. And if it's brutal enough, I saw one of your posts, you said, I look at when people throw hate at me, I look at that to see if there's anything valid. So I'm the same. If something negative comes back, I'm like, is there there truth in it? Yeah. It's the people that don't look at all. They're insecure. Yeah, they're insecure. Yeah. I like to look at it and really try to find truth, but yeah. Because it will make you better. It will make you more effective. It will make you more powerful. So I will, I do and believe that which moves me towards my goals. So um, I'm very honest that life is trade-offs. Now I was far more worried about my wife not having kids than myself. That's where it, to me, surprisingly, she doesn't have that urge. She has the urge. She feels similar to me in that she wants kids, but she wants to not have kids more. But I think being a woman, it's inevitable that that pull will be much harder for her. So we ran a bunch of thought experiments that will only dampen whatever regret she's gonna have so much. And we just said, what's this gonna look like when you're no longer interested in being an entrepreneur and you're tired and you don't have grandkids and you're looking around at your friends and they do have grandkids, how are you going to build meaning and purpose into your life? Because kids to me are two things. They are a sense of I live on, which I do not underestimate, and they are a sense of meaning and purpose. I have done something with my life that mattered. And if you have kids and you raise them well, you will feel that. And if you don't, you're misframing it, unless you were abusive or horrible or something. So you get that. And nature has given you that. Nature has built that in. And so it's like, I really caution people against. Nature has built this up. You've got a ready-made sense of meaning and purpose. And if you you shun that, it's a very high-risk game. So anyway, I, we have walked into this with our eyes wide open. The thing that really scares me for my wife is if I die and she doesn't have kids. And that was always her terror. She was like, if something happens to you and I don't have kids, I was like, you have to really think about that. And so, because my whole thing was, if you want kids, we'll have kids, but I'm not going to wake up in the middle of the night to take care of them. I'm building business. I'm slaying dragons, right? That's why I see it. And I I don't, you don't, I don't wake, I don't wake up for the kids. No, no. And so upon reflection, I believe in like, gender yeah. roles completely. Also, I have no problem in gender roles. Yeah. Gender roles. I have no problem with women in business at all, but when it comes to a household, I believe that the happiest people do have gender roles in place. Dude, I want to say you're crazy, but I agree. Yeah. 
I know. And it's not even, it's super unpopular to say, and it blows my mind that it, that it said that way. Women have like, I would not take my children to a male babysitter. They're not wired to nurture and love those kids in the same way that a woman is. I would say by default, the law of averages says that it will end up being a woman. Yeah. Everything in terms of nurturing, ability to care for, I'm sure there are guys out there that are amazing. It's just, it's going to be a small fucking number. Right. Very small. And I feel like I'm loving my children every day when I'm working endlessly to create a better life for them in a future. One of my biggest goals in life is to have something set up when I'm gone. I have this vision of a gentleman walking in in a suit. All my children are sitting around a table and he starts to unload what I set up for them. And my kids are just sitting there saying, he did what? And he put it in this and it's a trust and we don't pay as a man, you know, and I'm not there anymore. And they knew I took care of them fully. And they knew that when I was gone and I was, you know, on the road or when I was stressed out, or if I was sitting at the dinner table, quiet, that I was fighting those battles for them. And I left it all to them and that there's a legacy there. So, um, I mostly get encouragement and motivation from envisioning who I'll be. It never comes from anger. It never comes from competing, really. And that particular moment is a moment that I'll never live to see. But I, I, I know for a fact it'll be real. And it inspires me to work for those little girls every day and to, you know, make sure that uh, I'm setting up their reality in a way that benefits because I was here, you know. And a guy like you not having a child is um, it's interesting to me because there's so much there's so much you would be able to give them, you know, and I know that you've given that to the world, but in other ways, I can't imagine how you'd give to that kid. You know what I'm saying? And I mean that super respectfully. No, you, you I would be a killer it. fucking dad. Very kind. Yeah. I'm sure I will Again, do my I'm dad being, arc on the internet. I'm not being nice to you. No. Like I genuinely believe that like the kid would end up being a guru. Mm. You know. Maybe I mean that—that's a roll of the dice. Well, guru, one, but one of the things I mean. that haunts me, and in fact, I want to ask you. So you're wealthy, you're very successful. Your kids are going to struggle to get out from under your shadow already. So what do you do to make sure that money doesn't break them? Yeah, that's a great question. I think I'm going to face that mostly as it comes to me. I, I do want to put my kids in a position to be affluent with the right people in their life, networking wise. They won't be able to get out of hard work. I suspect they will work for the family business. If they choose not to, I would like to see them marry off to somebody and go help that gentleman build. And I'm talking about my girls. People ask me all the time. I was like, well, what are you going to do if, if your daughter's married a guy like you? I fucking hope so. I really do. Because he'll be strong enough to allow her to let go and be side, inside his frame because she believes in him and he's strong. Just much like your wife believed in you and your strength. I would want that for my little girls or they would work for me. I think one of their bigger issues is going to be finding a man that I don't absolutely beat in a landslide in every category. Mm -hmm. I think that's going to be their problem. And that's a problem I like them having. So uh, in regards to not spoiling them too much, I don't I don't think it's completely possible. But I do think that giving them a firm taste of reality and what the world actually looks like outside of their world, like making them visit the real estate properties, making them work in the business. Mm. Those are, those are obvious things. And then slapping my own hand and creating the frame of myself to make sure I don't spoil them too badly, which will be hard. I bet. 
it's going to be super hard. I already bought, already bought Emery. Uh, I, I told you I bought that Huracan Evo. Well, I bought her one that she can get in and I get to drive her around in it. So I'm already kind of spoiling her a little bit, but, uh, shit, she's got a bigger closet than I ever had growing up. You know, she's spoiled and Eva is, uh, is not quite old enough to be super spoiled yet, but give her time, give her a little time. Yeah. Do you have an ideal number of kids you want to have? I don't man. And also just to clarify, I don't know that I'll ever have another wife. Mm. You know, I love my family. I really, really do. you do. call her your wife? I try, I try not to, let me tell you why I try not to say it on YouTube or anything like that is because I don't believe in bringing the state into my business. Mm. And I feel like if I were to call her my wife a whole lot, it would just be used against me. Interesting. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But that's probably not true. Um, plus there's some, you know, we have some things in place, but, uh, yeah, she's my wife, man. I love that girl, bro. Completely, mm. completely. There's you know? some part of you though, that still is, I don't know what word you're going to accept. So feed me the word. I'm going to give you a starter sure. word, but is tense that whether it's, I don't want to call her wife too much because it can be used against me. Like literally Lisa, what, what would you like? I will write everything down that could be yeah. read in court. I'll li- whatever. And to me, that's the point. Like, I don't know why people stay in a relationship if they don't feel that way. Women are a sacrifice. My wife is a pain in my ass. And yeah. so I'm like, uh, if you weren't the most amazing creature I've ever encountered yeah. in my life, I would never put up with just having to deal with what somebody else wants. Like everything right. is, a, everything is a compromise when you're in a relationship. And I'm sure she feels exactly the same way. Well, maybe that's just people affecting, affecting my viewpoint on the subject. Uh, she's not, a, she's not a thorn in my side at all. And, um, I don't have any major concern that I'm going to have legal issues with her. I will tell you a large part of my childhood revolved around that. Mm. We did 12 custody courts. My mom tweet, oh. cheated twice. They were going to put us in a foster home. There's a lot of violence and things going on. Mm. My mom, she even made a YouTube channel when I first started. Really? Yeah. Like trying to like talk shit and she put really it go for about it. you. Oh yeah. Oof. She's sick, bro. Like she's not a bad person. She's just sick, man. None of her family can talk to her. She used to beat the shit out of us. Like physically, she's a strong woman. Mm. A lot of my genetics actually come from my mother. She was built like an Amazon. Anyway, I say all that to say that I saw a lot of what happens to a man when he gets wrecked in a divorce. My dad got charged with everything from Mm. battering her, sexual molestation of us. They were sending us to child therapy, all these things. I don't feel like I have trauma from it. I feel like I'm a grown man that can look back at it and say, those things happened. What can I learn from it? Mm. What could my dad have done differently? Maybe that he didn't even have the information to know he could have done. Cause back then all you had was brimstone and the Bible. Right. Mm. And that's what he had saw work with his dad. His dad came home from world war two or the, I guess world war one, he was going to world war two. He built a house. He formed a bunch of cotton in Oxford, Mississippi, he had one wife his whole life. She would bring tea and cook three meals a day. The structure worked. And I see that that worked and my dad tried it and my mom would, you know, go seeking other men, hypergamy in church, mind you. That's rough. <laughs> yeah. And, and then he was taken through this ringer of false al- allegations and he fought his ass off and fought his ass off and fought his ass off to keep us in his life. And I don't know if you saw it, but I just paid his house off. Congratulations. And yeah. It was probably one of the biggest achievements of my life, man. And, uh, and if anything, I just have a very realistic understanding of how the court system and everything is set up, but it doesn't change my feelings for that woman. Mm. She's changed her name. 
She's a big ass ring, big ass house, babies, nanny, the whole thing. Do you live in the house with her? And she likes blondes. That does not hurt. Uh-huh. That does not hurt. <laughs> when I'm there, I have two houses. In Louisiana? And yeah, well, yeah. So I have two houses that I keep open. Mm. The YouTube team comes and they stay in the in the old house. And then I stay in the big house with the nanny, the kids, and the wife. And mm. a lot of times the mother-in-law is there. And I have people coming over and things like that. I've never said any of this online, actually. Uh, but I have the most fulfilling family life I could ever imagine or dream of. I get photos like this podcast. My little girls will watch this. This will be playing in the living room. There's no lies. Even even I know my mother-in-law sees the things I say. But you know what? There's a lot of respect between all of us. There's a lot of spending time together and having real conversations that have depth to them. There's a lot of trust there. And I lead the family and the businesses uh, with conviction. And I, and I love all my people and I love my family. And they know that. And I can be um, an asshole if I need to, but most often I never even need to. And uh, I really, really have a fulfilled life in, in that particular area, man. My family life is much better than anything you'll ever see online. And Why uh, do you think people have a hard time believing that? Because they're not seeing all of me, you know, and a because lot of- Because you don't want them to see all no, of me? No, I think a lot of it is my fault. When I first, I didn't expect to come in online. I- Met a group of guys. I'd always kind of wanted to. What man doesn't want to have a big podcast, especially like nowadays, right? But I wouldn't let myself because I wasn't a liquid millionaire yet. So on my whole 20s, I remember watching. I would watch all this stuff. I've watched you for years. I knew who you were. With Like when, when Thomas sent me the message like, yo, Impact Theory called. I'm like, bullshit. I was super excited, man. And I'm honored to be here. But I kind of, I knew I'd wanted to. But I wasn't in that place in my life where I felt like I had completed all the boxes I had set out to check. I know the feeling very well. Yeah. And so I didn't. And also learned from that, that the the goals that I made in my twenties, I was not yet qualified to make for my thirties. You know, so when I got to 30 and I wasn't where I wanted to be, you know, I felt like I'd have failed. But what I had forgotten is that the goal that I had set, I wasn't qualified to make at 24. Right. And, uh, I met Sterling Cooper and I met Andrew and Tristan and I, I was thinking about joining and I even started a channel. And right about the time I did is when Andrew text me. He's like, yo, we were in Miami. And he said, uh, come eat dinner with me. So I did. And he's like, dude, I really believe in you. I know you don't have any followers, but I believe that you will because you have everything it takes. And you built a real business in the real world. You'll garner a lot of respect from people online. For sure. You know, you're building still buildings all over America. Like you're building a country. It's a real business. Why don't you, you see what I've done. You feel how you feel about the war room. And I love the war room. Why don't you just help me so we can help as many people as possible? Handshake done. And I never look back. I'll never start a group. Hmm. I'll never, you know, go out and, and try to make a war room or anything like that. Um, but that's how it got started. And then it just grew and grew and grew to where it is now. And um, I get a lot of support from her in that area. And I get a lot of support from my family and the people that run my businesses and, and everything. So it was one of the best decisions I've ever made, I think, honestly. It's very fulfilling. Mm. You know? I love that. I love that you're I love the loyalty. I love doing things with friends. I love understanding, hey, I can be bigger as a part yeah. of this and win a championship than if I tried yeah. to do it on my own. And I didn't answer you though. The reason I had not shown it is because I thought that I would want to protect it in some way. But 
what I came to grow to learn in this time is that people are not seeing the side of me that laughs all the time. They're not seeing the side of me that love people. They're only seeing this rigid side where I'm arguing with some girl that has an OnlyFans account. And that could not be further from who I actually am in real life. And one thing I did learn from Andrew is that I won't make the mistake of not showing that other side of me. Now, I'm not saying he's wrong, but I am saying that there's this other great side of myself and him and that others should see so they understand the full, you know, wholeness of who we are as people. Because I honestly think I'm a really, really, really good dad. In fact, I know I am. And uh, I expect that I'm going to show that more because just showing a little bit is more of a lie from omission than is given the real truth. So, yeah, I mean, I look, I, I get the strategy of building a persona and then sticking to it. But one, I think the people that build a persona, they end up helping people less than they think because that person is going to test their persona against the real world and finds that it comes up wanting. Uh, and when you are your whole self, it's harder to package. I know from experience, uh, but at the same time, you'll feel good about it. You'll have a lot more staying power, um, because, you know, people know who you are and as you right. evolve, you can evolve things. So you're not, you don't have to suddenly play a new character. It's just, you're right. really evolving in real time. And that's that. I think that will play out a lot better. Speaking of the holistic version of you, what makes you good at business? It's my leadership. Like in the beginning, I was I was really big hearted, right? And I wanted to spend time with the guys and I wanted to help them set up like, you know, insurance things where they could get wealthy from it. And, uh, but how did you even get your business started? Like you're a zero to one story. Those are the most brutal. You do not come from money. You don't come from an obvious town that would end up sparking a very successful entrepreneur. Yeah, certainly not. I mean, I just, I don't I would not even know where to start if I had to make a business out of putting up steel buildings. So how do you take that from idea to actually having a multi-million dollar business. So I'll give you, I guess I can give you a life path of it. You know, I first had to get a job somehow. It's 2009. I've told the story many times, but basically I went to the same place. So many times the boss finally saw me and instead of getting mad at me, he liked me for interrupting his office so much. Saying, give me a job. Yep. And so he gave me a job and I saved the money up to apply for my contractor's license test. My stepfather had done metal buildings in backyards. And, uh, he also had worked for this company and we had a house fire. Uh, we actually had two house fires because somebody in our house knew how insurance worked. We spoke about her. Um, and I remember going to this guy's house and being like, this dude puts up metal bills. He had a basketball court in his house, mm. you know, and, uh, he wasn't like balling like this house, but like you could tell, like you go from like a, a shitty neighborhood to his neighborhood. There was a, there was a dissonance between the two. Right. Mm. And I'm in like seventh grade at this point. I'm like, cool. And then in my town in Baton Rouge, um, you ever seen the movie October Skies? No, but I've heard you talk about it. Yeah. So my October Skies, instead of going to the coal mill, I didn't want to work in the plants. Mm. And so I'm looking at my situation. I'm like, well, I'm not doing that good in school. I was smart. You know, I could make good grades, but I was super uninterested. And um, I was like, okay, what do I need to do to get out of here? Well, sports. So I played baseball, football, baseball, and basketball all the way to my junior year. And I said, the only full ride here is football. 
at this time, so I've heard you talk about football is very transactional. You end up getting your yeah. scholarship, but are you already like, okay, I'm going to get rich. Here's my life path. I'm going to start no, a business. That's what I was leading to. Actually, we were going to play Arkansas. I don't know if you follow college football at all, but they were good Not at the time. Really there was good. a guy named Derek McFadden, blah, blah, blah. I read Rich Dad Poor Dad. And I told my roommate that night, a guy named Zeke Zachary. I said, man, I'm going to own a business one day. And he goes, all right, yeah, cool. Funny enough, he texted me just last week. I've not talked to him in like 15 years. That's and he's hilarious. like, I see you online all the time, bro. You did it. But um, I finished college. There's no jobs. I, I beat on that guy's door until he finally gives me a job. I went to the bank, got him to auto draft all the money out of the account so I could live poor, save the money up. Okay, so whoa, whoa, whoa. Brilliant decision. Yep. So this is like the breaking point where, first of all, most people don't think of the idea. They don't allow themselves to believe they can do right. it. You do. That's important step number one. Important step number two, and I've heard you talk about this and you always rush past it and I don't know why. So <laughs> this, yeah. the willingness to be poor, this is why I'm always trying to convince yeah. people like in the beginning, do not try to optimize for money. Yeah. Try to optimize for the knowledge, in this case, getting the loan so that you can do your thing, but optimize for that thing that's going to let you set up the business. Yeah. And so you lived super poor. Yeah, very much. You auto-drafted how much out of your yeah, account? Yeah, it was like 80, 90% of my check. So I was, Jesus. the job ended up being actually in New Orleans with the guy, with the company I went with. I actually ended up getting offered two jobs. In, in one and you week. were just like, what is the least I can live right. on? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I had like a $750 a month rent. And I was making $75 a day in per diem. So I would mostly live off per diem. Mm. It was this little hole in the wall, Magazine Street, New Orleans. And so I got to experience the city a bit, but then I'd drive out to this big levy job. And um, I was able to auto draft that money to get the $10,000 in the bank account. I took that bank statement to the contractor's licensing board in Baton Rouge. Then I moved the money and then went and applied for my residential at the same time. I'm not sure if I had to, but I didn't want to risk it. And, uh, how did you figure out all the things you had to do to start the company? Oh, I drove to the contractor's licensing board and went in person and just asked the lady behind the desk. Dude, that's so. There's a sweet little black lady, bro. She helped me through the whole thing. Dude, people will always help. Like it's yeah. crazy. People just never ask. They don't ask, man. Like it, like out of out of a whole year, I might have been the only person that walked in and asked. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think that you super have that power when you're a young man. You know, like if you're starting a business and you start asking people for help, bro, I had some kids come to my house in Louisiana the other day to pressure wash. And I was just so impressed that they were beating on doors in a country club mm. that I'm like, whatever the price is, do it. You know, it's hard not to pull for ambition, mm. you know, especially being American. Like, I feel like this whole country was built on that. And so that's what I did. And I started doing buildings in backyards. Uh, it was really hard in the beginning, you know, because... A lot of the guys that I, I was I was trying to be the project manager, the the guy begging for money at the bank, the bookkeeper, you know, the guy that showed up when somebody got too drunk. So, and I, so you quickly realize if I'm going to scale this, I have to scale my team. Yes. This well, is where leadership kicks well, in. I ended up running in. No, actually, I ended up running into E-Myth. Mm, I had him on the show. Yeah. Gerber. Uh -huh. Nice. Um, I ended up running into E-Myth, and so I started to build systems, and I started to get in a position where I looked big on paper. And so instead of doing backyard buildings, I started sending quotes for doing much, much larger buildings to general what contractors. What made you look big on paper, and was that strategic? Yeah, so it was strategic because it was really just me and my pickup truck and like four or five guys mm. who were 
So you're like, Definitely. okay, on paper, I can make myself look different than this. I can, yeah, I can look better on paper. And, and was that letterhead and it was, references? It was letterhead. I got my hands on somebody else's bid template, which is like five, six pages. Will not do this. Mm. You must clean the anchor bolts. I will have a hundred foot of circumference around the slab. Like it just looked really good, right? Their license number was on the bottom. So I just on my MacBook and a Starbucks, right? And then, and then, oh shit, job time. So go run to the job, you know, drive their truck tools. But I knew that doing that and having insurance and I paid somebody to do a website really, early, I reinvested in the business a lot. The problem I would run into is the actual manpower itself. Mm. And that's when it got, you know, really, really hard because, you know, you'd have multiple buildings going on at the same time. We'd go to bigger buildings and these GCs don't play. Like you're swimming with sharks in construction because they have a schedule. You better hit it mm. and you better be safe. And your men better not make a mistake. And your men don't even want to be there a lot of the time. There's, there's, I, yeah. So it's, it's that. And, and, um, there's nothing, there's no punches pulled. It's a very legal game. You know, they will hit you with liquidated damages very quickly, which is basically $3,000 a day. You miss the schedule, Oof. especially on school projects and things like that. And then you go to put the roof on. Sorry, the kids are testing. You have to come back tomorrow. But what about my equipment that's sitting here on rent? Like there's all these things, right? Mm. The business is difficult. I'll never forget my first line of credit was $15,000 so I could make my $2,500 payrolls. But I eventually got in a position where I'd had enough momentum. I'd hired and fired enough people that enough people had stuck. And at that point, I was very rigid because I'd just been lied to so much, Mm. so much. And it finally, after the systems were there and I hired the right people, and I had some bonus structures in place. And that lady I told you about, Renee, her name's Renee. Uh, love you, Renee. She came in and it was almost like that exercise you see on YouTube of the two people dancing in the field. And they see the two people dancing in the field. And then all of a sudden it's five people, then it's 10 mm. people, and then it's 20 people. That woman believing in me and getting behind me and helping me. And we set up some really good systems around recruiting. I had already built them, but she helped me get them implemented. Uh, From there, about five or six years ago, got us to the point where it was just a moonshot. We were just able to duplicate it, duplicate it, duplicate it, duplicate it. Project process, pre-construction, contract checklist, retainage, how we pay people, like everything. It's like somebody finally got behind the systems I had built when I had Emith. And I knew that I could actually trust some people. And for that, that guard that I had up around, you can't trust anybody. Cause and with good reason, I was getting lied to left and right. I was buying my own tools out the pawn shop. Oof. Like it was fucked. Uh, we finally created a culture where now my men will kick other guys off the job if they're not working. And I mean, there's many things that happened. Uh, I had a guy, I didn't know this, but he got, he had given me some paperwork that was wrong and he wasn't supposed to be here and he got picked up by ice. Oof. Yep. And I paid 25 grand to keep him here and I'm obligated to him with the government. Wow. But you don't think that gets around? I was going to say. You don't think there's going to be loyalty there? Mm. <laughs> you know? Uh, so it's one of those things where I had to take some punches and when we came out on the other side, I was able to trust people Um in a way that I knew that I could actually let them do their job. And then we could talk about, you know, and of course we have daily reports and everything. We're constantly plotting and planning, but then Andrew and Tristan brought that out of me even more. 
like, because that's what you originally asked me. And I just think it's because how many years ago was this? What? That you started working with them. Oh, it's been like three years. Yeah. So are you saying that your business took a big turn when you met them? No, I was already making a bunch of money. My life was great. So what were the key things that you started piecing together? Cause so I teach an entrepreneurship class Yeah. and I find it is very difficult to actually teach people what they need to do because the real thing, I'll be interested to see if you agree with this. Here's what a, I know you cringe at CEO, but here's what a CEO has to yeah, do. I hate it. You have to be good at solving novel problems. A problem not only have you not seen before, nobody's seen before. And you have to be able to go in and figure it out, whether it's ice or it's uh, the sheet metal isn't connecting the way it's supposed to, right. or you've mm-hmm. got everything on rent and the school is pushing back, whatever. Right. You have to be able to figure out all those problems when there's nobody else to ask. Right. And so how do you teach somebody to be good at that? So I'm very curious, what were some of those key moments? So you learned, okay, I've got to be able to trust my employees. You read Emith and you realize I've got to have a system. I can't work in my business. I have to work on it. You start building out charts and data. Yep. All, all the checklists. How did you figure out what data to look at? Yeah. So I had gotten a bunch of mentors. I joined the Metal Building Contractors Directors Association. Mm-hmm. I, was, I was a board member at a very early age. I'm pretty sure I was the youngest board member ever. Um, and I got a lot of that information from them. And then everything else was really just a mistake we had made that it might as well go on this checklist now because I don't ever want to pay for it again. And that's generally how I am. It's like if a guy makes a mistake and I know there's intent there and intent is very important to me, um, then I'm okay with it. It's the guy that skips it on the checklist that's going to get fired, Mm. right? And as far as being a CEO – I believe the number one driving factor for a CEO to be successful, in my opinion, is to be a playmaker because you're right. He's working on the business and there's new problems that are attacking the business that have become threat to a business. And he's got to be able to on the hip while the plane is in the air, put the duct tape on the wing and figure out a way to get to a different level, a new altitude. And I was very, very good at that. And, and maybe maybe it's because I'm a bit ADD and I like to hyper focus and I'm very good in chaos. You know, um, I'm not very good at being organized, but if you create a storm, I'm really good in that. Mm. And so for me, it just made sense. It never even felt like I was reading. There's no book I read to do that. And I think people either have that or they don't. I constantly tell Renee, I'm like, man, if we could just figure out a way to figure out if somebody can think for themselves or not, we will have the biggest steel company in the history of construction, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but it's really hard to do Yeah, It's really, really hard to do. And, uh, and I think I had that particular gift naturally. And I had the other gift of bringing people together and creating trust and having bonds with them. But I wasn't able to release that part until, you know, I had had some people that were willing to dance to the same rhythm and row the boat in the same direction. Right. And that caught on and it caught on like wildfire in a lot of ways. And then running into Andrew and Tristan, I saw what it was like to truly trust a brother something I had never really had. I grew up in a house full of five. There was five kids, but we had different dads. There was like seven or eight years apart. They're um, pretty overweight. Like, well, there's not a lot in common. So I always felt like I was really just a black sheep mom family. And, um, and seeing them have that relationship has been very, um, very beneficial to me because I've noticed the more trust that I put into people, especially people that I know deserve it, the more they don't want to let me down. And I think that's abundantly valuable in business and it creates a lot of speed. 
So when we trust each other, we can go fast because I'm not worried about anybody snaking me or still in business or anything like that. And they have that. Any one of them could steal all the money from the other one at any time. And um, I have some employees that could wreck me if they wanted to, but they won't. And I think a lot of that is that that trust that's already there that they would never want to sabotage. And so um, that's that's kind of how we got there in a nutshell. It's a very short-winded version, but um, that also circles back into the trust question you had. Mm, yeah, I was going to say, it's been an interesting theme that's cropped yeah. up. Where can people follow you? You can go to my website to get free emails every day at justinwinwaller.com. I love it. Awesome. All right, everybody, if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care. Peace.